New, new, new black, new, new black Wall Street book club. Evan Jefferson, brother, much love. Educating, elevating, because in knowledge is the power and we'll never give it up. <laughs> Literature is for the masses. Where to put your money down the how to watch your assets. Yeah, uplifting others is a passion. My brother Evan, he will turn it into action. New Black Wall Street Book Club. You should come read with come us. Read with us. Yeah, we comprehend and discuss. Yeah. If we all just come together, there's no limit for there's us. No limit for us. <laughs> Here comes your host, New Black Wall Street. Evan, take it away. New Black Wall Street Book Club. Welcome to the New Black Wall Street Book Club, where black folk do read. If you put it in a book, we absolutely will find it. I'm your host, ERGJ, your certified financial educator, CEO of ERGJ Enterprises, ERGJ Black Bazaar, and international best selling author of the book. The Black Billionaires Club. It's a study of black wealth. It's a study of the 12 richest black people in the world today and how they built their wealth. And I just believe that if you want to be wealthy, you should study wealthy people. We can find that book by going to the website www.theblackbillionairesclub.com www.theblackbillionairesclub.com You'll find that link in the description above or below. start with daily uh, motivations for African-American success. That's right. Daily motivation for African-American success written by a great black author of our time today, Mr. Dennis P. Kimbrough. Okay. Mr. Dennis P. Kimbrough. So anytime you see that name, Dennis P. Kimbrough, and it's on the title of a book, you want to get that book. Okay. I'll just let you know. All right. So Dennis P. Kimbrough, daily motivations for African-American success. That's right. Daily motivations for African-American success. So if you're African-American, and you need some motivation to help you with your success, that's what we're about to do today. <laughs> that's right, man. What's going on, Miss O? Maldine, Maud, Maudine, 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 South Carolina. How far is that from uh, Greenville or who else we got? We got Columbia and we got Greenville. How far, where is Maudine? I got a good look on the map for that one. Hey, today's episode, today's title is Caution. Everybody put in the comments on Caution. Caution, adverse conditions. Caution, adverse conditions. Now, here's our quote of the day. It comes from uh, Patricia Harris. She was a former secretary of housing and urban development. So she was a secretary before you had Mr. Uh, ben Carson, right? Uh, and she says this, and I quote, character is what you have left when you've lost everything else. I repeat that again. I quote of the day. What's going on, Chicago? Oh, my family from Chicago. I didn't know you was in Chicago. That's why you got that rough and tough attitude. Okay, I get it now. Okay, now I can rock with you because I know where you're from. So I know how to talk to you because I know how to talk to my native Chicagoans. Yeah, y'all just a little, y'all just a little cold because it'd be cold up there. I get you. <laughs> Character is what's left, is, uh, is what you have left when you've lost everything else. Now, I'll venture to say, beautiful people, that that's the one thing you can never lose or please don't lose is your character. See, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, and ultimately, he wants to destroy your character. But if your character is outstanding, no matter how much you got or you don't got, no matter how big your bank account is or how much you lost over time, it don't matter. Your, and let me tell you something. 
your character will bring you back riches. Your, your character will, 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 will maintain relationships. Your character will elevate you beyond what put you in places, right? That no other thing can do because your reputation precedes you. Character is what you have left after you've lost everything else. How many guys have been in a position in life where you literally have lost everything else? You might have been in a position like Joel where you lost some family, you, you lost some money, you, you lost some loved ones, you lost the house, you, you lost the car, you lost the job, but your character is what pulled you through. Your character is what got you through the adverse conditions. Now let's get our motivation of the day, man. Oh, oh, oh. Let's see what Mr. Dennis P. Kimbrough got to say to us today in our passage, Black Folk Do Read. Let's get it. A wise man once said, all of life's experiences are to be either enjoyed or learned from. This is a different perspective from the way, the one we usually hold. We've been conditioned to believe that life is a combination of good and bad and that the price we pay for the good is the bad. Yet there's another way of looking at our experiences. The hurts and sorrows that we feel in life are not punishments from our creator. They are messages given to us by a loving God who is showing us exactly what we need to change in order to grow. Who is showing us exactly what we need to change in order to grow. I'm going to come back to this. I'm going to talk about this for a little second. Adversity is our friend. Uh, uh, <laughs> Adversity is our friend. Everybody put that in the comments below because that's going to take a little condition, reconditioning right there. Adversity is our friend. Woo! That's a hard pill to swallow right there. It is a driving force that pushes us out of our comfortable nest and forces us to learn to fly on our own. When times are darkest, we develop the fortitude to rally again and win if we understand the true nature of adversity and life's challenges. Adversity is a gift. Whew. Oh, Lord. Adversity is a gift. Everybody put that in the comments below. Oh, this is going to be tough here. <laughs> Woo. Without it, our growth is it's slow. With it, we are transformed from fledglings into masters. Every great person of merit has known adversity. Adversity can forge an immature soul into a powerhouse of strength. Marcus Garvey was spat upon and, uh, and his ex very existence as a human was being denied. Rock and roll guitarist Bo Diddley endured years of struggle and strife in dusty Mississippi towns before he captured the ears of talent scouts in New York and California. And we know of the small and stark beginnings of Dr. Dorothy Brown. Though she was abandoned at birth and raised in an orphanage, she became the first African-American female surgeon to practice in the South. It is not by chance. Everybody put that in the console. It is not by chance. I want you to understand this morning that whatever it is that you are going through or you have been through or that you're about to go through because adversity is either something that you've overcome, something that you're currently in, or something that's on its way. That is not by chance. Now, another way to say this, if you are, you know, you've read the good book, it says something like this, that 
all things work together for my good. All things. So adversity is a gift. Adversity is my friend. Adversity transforms. And it's not by chance. Now, here's the interesting thing, though. Some of us actually bring adversity on ourselves by the lack of character. So there's another side to this as well. When you when you haven't developed the character, you actually bring some adversity upon yourself in order for you to develop character. And what I found in life, you guys tell me if you found this to be true in your life, when you don't pass that test, and you don't grow, mature, develop, whatever case you make sight, evolve, adapt, you go through it again in some other similar form or fashion until you get the message. Until you get the message. I guess a good question to ask this morning is, have you gotten the message yet? Or must you go through it again and again? And again, I'm telling you, life is going to take you around this mountain over and over and over again. This could be in your personal life. This could be in your business that you're building. This could be in your familial relationships. This could be in your your, your romantic relationships. Life is going to take you through this cycle over and over and over again until you get the message. Until you get the message. So it's not by chance that these achievers face tremendous adversity. They were in fact made great by it. Adversity makes people great. Everybody put that in the comments below. Adversity makes me great. Now why is that? Because I get better. Yeah, I get better because I learn. Yeah, I learn because I'm stronger today than I was yesterday. I'm wiser today than I was yesterday. I'm more mature today than I was yesterday. I don't make the same decisions today that I made yesterday. Adversity makes me great. The same demands will be placed upon you. Rejoice and be glad in them. Rejoice and be glad in them. Now, I want to go back. As I said, I highlighted this. We're going to go back and talk about this just a little bit because Dennis P. Kimbrough is dropping some dimes on us today. He said, uh, they are messages given to us by a loving God who is showing us exactly what we need to change in order to grow. Who is showing us exactly what we need to change in order to grow. Now, that begs the question. Now, some of y'all are bold enough, some of y'all lie. Some of y'all are honest and some of y'all not. And I tell y'all all the time, honesty is the best policy. When you get to the point you can be honest and you can talk about yourself instead of talking about everybody else, then you know you're ready to grow. You know you're ready to change. You know you're ready for another level, another level of, of success, another level of achievement, another level of income, another level of profit, another level of revenue. When you can be honest with yourself, so that begs the question, what is it exactly that you need to change in order to grow? 
See, I believe that God's already shown you. Matter of fact, not only has he shown you, I believe he sent other people to tell you. The question is, are you too prideful, too stubborn, too egotistical to listen, to pay attention, to get the message? Let me say that again for the people in the back. I don't think y'all heard me. See, I believe God has already shown you. I believe God has already sent you messengers or angels to give you the hint, to give you the message. But the question is, are you too stubborn, too prideful, too egotistical to get the message? See, when we're in a state of pride or ego, we're in a state of stubbornness, it's, it's like, oh, you know, no, I, I'm, I'm doing this all by myself. There, there's no one here to help or support. I don't have a team. I'm in this all by myself. You know why? Because you probably are too stubborn, too proud, and too egotistical. See, God didn't really put us here to be independent. He put us here to be interdependent. There's a state of maturation that goes from, well, I got to do this all by myself into I know I can't do it by myself. I might start by myself, but I won't finish by myself because I'll be like Forrest Gump. I'll start running. Other people will start running with me. What is it? Because God has brought a message unto you, showing you exactly what you need to change in order to grow. What do you need to change? See, because it doesn't matter where you are right now. It doesn't matter how high, how low, how, where in the middle. It doesn't matter where you stand. There's something available for you to change in order for you to grow to the next level. None of us are at the top. None of us have arrived. There's still more for us to do, to grow, to be, to become. Why? Because we're still here. Thank God we're still here. So there's something left for us to change in order to grow. Have you gotten a message? Yet, uh, Miss Kimbrio said, "Man, I am uh, Miss Kimbrio. I'm sorry, Kimbrio. I'm sorry. Uh, yes, be honest about bettering you versus tearing down others." Somebody said, "Adversity makes me great." Vera said, "Man, you do not have, you do not have it. I know that's right. Adversity makes me great." Ava said, "Adversity makes me great. Do rejoice and be glad in Him. I don't want to be prideful or stubborn." Now. Here is our affirmation of the day. Here's what you want to allow to take root into your subconscious, your heart. And then you can grow and develop this thing by repeating it over and over and over again. Now, we understand that the power of life and death is in the tongue. So that which we say unto ourselves has a lot to do with who we become. Our affirmation of the day. Let's get it. Repeat after me. When circumstances seem bleak, I will redouble my efforts. Adversity will become my greatest asset. I'll repeat that again. May everybody put in the comments or redouble. Oh, that's good. I am Kimberly. I need to learn to delegate and accept help. <laughs> That's that Chicago in you. I got it. That's that Chicago. That's that Midwest, baby. <laughs> All right, let's do it again. Repeat after me our affirmation of the day. Let's get it. When circumstances seem bleak, 
I will redouble my efforts. Adversity will become my greatest asset. Woo! Man, our affirmation of the day, man, isn't this something? Oh my goodness. I'm redouble my efforts. See, this, this really determines your character. Are you Is your character strong enough to keep going and redouble your efforts or your character so weak you just shrink back and go back to who you used to be? I'm telling you, the fight is not anything outside of yourself. The fight is the new you versus the old you and you somewhere in the middle. The, the new you versus the old you. The changed you, the born again you, the new birth or the old self. Our affirmation today is do it one more time, this time for the people in the back, the people in the way back. We got to save some resolve. We got to make sure they know we mean business. This time, say it with some conviction. Repeat after me. When circumstances seem bleak, I will redouble my efforts. Adversity will become my greatest asset. Caution. Adverse conditions. Daily motivations for African-American success by Mr. Dennis P. Kimbrough. Daily motivations for African-American success by Mr. Dennis P. Kimbrough. Quick word from our sponsor. Don't just buy black, decorate black. ERGJ Black Bazaar is the Afrocentric marketplace, and we specialize in urban home decor. Anything from shower sets to wall tapestries to duvet cover sets, you can decorate your entire home with original black art inspired gifts. Check us out at www.ergjblackbazaar.com, www.ergjblackbazaar.com. ERGJ Black Bazaar, the Afrocentric marketplace. We make group economics easy. The New Black Wall Street Book Club presents Black Fortunes. The story of the first six African-Americans who escaped slavery and became millionaires by Shamari Wills. Let's read. Woo! Man, what a way to get the morning started. What's going on, Peter Grant? What's going on, man? Mr. Corey Bill. Uh, see you up in the house, man. Thanks so much for joining. With circumstances seem Blake, I will redouble my efforts. I will adversity will become my greatest asset. When circumstances seem bleak, I will redouble my efforts. Adversity will become my greatest asset, man. That is our appetizer, our affirmation appetizer today. Uh, we're gonna get right into this thing, man, as we are continuing along in our journey into black fortunes. The story of the first six African Americans to escape slavery and become millionaires. Now, I believe this book is so profound for such a time as this because. Even in 2019, going to 2020, we have plenty of African-Americans who are still in slavery. 
Now, they may not be enslaved from a physical standpoint, but how many guys know some African-Americans? Maybe yourself, that's just a financial slavery, right? You're not a bar lender, you're a borrower, and you would put yourself into financial slavery. How many guys know some African-Americans who are emotional slavery? Right, they're not a master of their emotions. Their emotions master them, and it carries them to and fro, from happy to sad to mad, all in thirty seconds. Right? How many guys know some African Americans who are in psychological slavery? They just can't get right, just can't think straight. For some reason, they allow life to come and life to hit them upon the head. Now they got what we call mental health issues, and some of it can't be prevented by getting your mind right. See, God says, "Man, I, I, I give you a sound mind." Right. No fear, sound mind. That's what God grants. So I don't know who it is we've accepted, but we got some brothers and sisters who are in slavery. And I believe just like we have traveled from physical slavery to free land to give us access to be able to do what we want to do and do it how we want to do it to create wealth for ourselves, I believe we got to tackle these other forms of slavery as well. So that in all areas of our life, we are operating in wealth. See, I talk a lot about money, but money is the slowest form of wealth. And some of us focus too much on money and not enough on other things like our peace of mind. Not enough other things like our word of bond, our, our, the, the word of our bond, our integrity. Not enough on our character, but everything on the outside. So maybe it's time for us all to travel to freedom. Everybody put it on hashtag freedom. <laughs> Hashtag free. What's going on, man? Straight out of Chirac, represent, man. E V No, man. I'm selling the book, so hey, voice, man. I know that's right. Daily Affirmation. Hey, A V. Matter of fact, I'm glad you asked that. Hey, no, I don't know which book you're talking about, but A V. If you are you, if you're talking about Daily Affirmations, if that's the book you're talking about, then it's your lucky day, because just yesterday, A V. I was actually in my uh, front room, and I just happened to look at my bookcase. And some kind of way, there was an extra copy of this little book called Daily Affirmation for African American Sons. Now, I was like, where did this book come from? Because I know that God must have sent a bird somewhere and he dropped it in the bookcase because I know I didn't have to have two copies. But then I said, well, what am I supposed to do with this copy? And then God said, well, you know what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to give it away. And I was like, well, God, who am I supposed to give it to? He's like, well, I'm going to show you who you're going to give it to. And I said, wow, it must be A.V. So, A.V., if you're talking about this book and you don't have this book, then I'm going to send you my extra copy some kind of way and file them in my hands and you're going to get you another copy or you're going to get you a copy by the beginning of the year. So, I already got your address and all that stuff, A.V. So, congratulations, A.V. You are the winner of the extra copy that I have some kind of way. No invoice necessary. Now, you ain't got to pay for shipping either. I'll take care of that as well. Why? Because freely has it been given to me. And freely shall I give it to you. That's how it works. Okay. Because I told y'all, I can't outgive God. I just, I've been trying, I've been trying. Then my first task, God, I'm trying to outgive you today. And my first my first action step is to give. I got somebody getting a free gift, right? I got somebody getting a birthday gift. I got AV getting a, getting his book that he just asked for. No no charge. Yeah. We're going to see what's going to happen. We're going to see what's going to happen. At any rate, <laughs> Black Fortunes. Right, the story of the first six African Americans to escape slavery. We're in now into chapter 12, which is Black Cleopatra. Now we're on part two. So if you missed the first uh part, uh, we do have a podcast, New Black Wall Street Podcast. You can catch all our episodes. And as we uh, recap on part one, we were talking about a, a lady named uh Hannah Elias who 
uh, was the pride and joy of the family at the time back in 18... Let me see if I can get a date for you, guys. It was back in 1884. And she got into a little trouble as she was growing up. Ended up getting accused of stealing a, a, a bridal gown or something like that from her. Uh, the job that she had, a white woman. Went to jail, right? And when she got out of jail, her father would not let her come back home. So then she left the town that she was in at the time and went to, I think uh, I think it was Manhattan, and she uh, was in a resort. Now, the resort is basically a short for whole house, okay? Uh, so she was a bunny. Let's just put it that way. She was a bunny. <laughs> and uh, and then, you know, there's a man, a, a wealthy man, older man, about 60-something years old, and she was 19, and he was coming up in that thing. And then, uh, <laughs> and then her, 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 uh, let's say her childhood sweetheart or someone that had adorned, adored her since she was younger came looking for her. His name was Mr. Satterfield. And Paul Satterfield, I believe is what his name was, uh, Frank Satterfield found her and said, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm Captain Sable. I'm saving you today. So he brought her out of the whole house and to his house, even though he was poor. And he said, I'm going to love on you and we're going to live, build, build this life together. But in reality, he just wanted to get him some. He been he been so infatuated with Hannah Lyons. He just we were like I'm going. I finally done caught my my. I caught the apple of my eye. And then he went ahead and did the little thing. And then she got pregnant. So she got pregnant, and she like, yes, I'm been pregnant with the man that loves me. And he like, no, I got you pregnant. I didn't mean to. So I'm going to dip. So he disappeared. And uh, and so now Hannah's like, man, I got I had a baby. She had to give it up for a, a, a adoption or to an orphanage or something like that. And she went looking for Mr. Satterfield. She said, uh-uh, honey. Ain't no way you're going to come up in this thing. You're going to make me believe that you love me and I'm giving you all these cookies for free when I used to get it for uh, for, for hundreds of dollars. And, and no, this ain't going on. So she came up to his job. And then they got to some uh, domestic violence. And now they're back in court again. And she go back to court and she lost. Let me pick up on there. I'll pick up here. We'll pick up on chapter four, get y'all caught up, and then we'll move into, I mean, part four, get y'all caught up, and then we'll move into part five, okay? So let's go. Uh, let's get it. <laughs> in March of 1885, everybody put it down, so 1885. In March of 1885, Elias became pregnant. The news left Satterfield distraught. This is the man who came to be Captain Saberhunt. <laughs> he told her he could not support the child and urged her to apply for aid from the city. Now, he knew he couldn't afford this child while he was he was banging up in that thing. All right? But he, you know, me and Will, brothers, y'all be thinking about that, honey. Y'all be like, oh, wait a second. I mean, I, ooh, I couldn't pull out this time. She might have been pregnant. You knew you couldn't afford the baby before you had the baby. But that, that thing was so good, you couldn't pull out. <laughs> Woo! Lord. So, uh, in the winter of 1885, Elias was given a place in the maternity ward of a Philadelphia almshouse. There, in early 1886, she delivered a baby girl whom she named Clara. While she was giving birth, Satterfield skipped town. Abandoned and penniless, Elias decided to give the child up for adoption. After her daughter had been placed with another family, she began to search for Satterfield. 
She discovered that this week when a woman's fed up. Woo! When a woman's fed up, no matter how you pick, <laughs> it ain't nothing you can do. <laughs> now, here's the deal, guys. And that being, the reality is, uh, Elias, you know, ever since her, her father kicked her out of the house, the relationship with men just has not been good. I mean, men, man after man, I mean, I just can imagine, you guys tell me this, ladies. Man, where would you be if you tried to come back home and you daddy's little girl and daddy don't let you come back home? I just, I'm just, see, I can't, I can imagine it from a man. I can imagine what if I was a father and I did that to my daughter, but you guys have to tell me, women, because y'all probably have a whole nother, nother, nother way of ex explaining this or describing this feeling and the impact it has on the woman as it relates to her relationship with men. This is, this. I'm telling you, for, to me, this all started from a father not letting her back in the house when she was once the, the, the golden child. And one mistake, right? End up in jail for four months. That's it, not four years. And you come back home and daddy say, you don't you don't messed up the family name. I'm just saying this is this is this is her daddy fault, in my opinion. Y'all tell me. I feel it's her daddy fault. So Peter Grant said back then stealing was very shameful. Okay. I, I, it's still shameful, right? It's not no, let's Peter Grant, let's keep it real. It's not that stealing is shameful. It's getting caught for stealing. That's shameful. <laughs> Complete people steal. It's when you get caught that makes the difference. Oh, you got caught. Now it's very shameful. <laughs> AV said, it would be hard to be that mad at my daughter. It'd be hard to be that mad you don't let them back in the house. Uh, and Sambu said, I would have all, oh, so all men would be on the, on, on notice. <laughs> like, like, <laughs> I'm, just, I'm not. I'm trying not to laugh. I'm just laughing at my commentary. But this is very serious. This is very serious. Okay. So she discovered that he was in a New York working as a clerk at a drugstore in Greenwich Village in September 1887. She traveled to New York to confront him. So this is almost about a, a year and a half later. Can you imagine the kind of anger that's built up in a woman who got pregnant by a man that she thought loved him, and then when she about to have a baby? He skipped town? I mean, what kind of... Oh, Lord. <laughs> Ooh. Oh, Lord. He's had a different mindset. Uh, my father will always let me come home. If your father won't be there for you, it won't... It won't... I wouldn't trust any man. Oh. Oh. Whew. So she showed up to the drugstore where he worked and was thrown out almost immediately by the owner of the store as she caused the scene. Um, undeterred, she waited outside for Satterfield for several hours and followed him home, screaming at him while he refused to engage with her. When he arrived at his home, Satterfield summoned the police and had her arrested for harassment. I, it's like Maury drama. Hey, man, this is real stuff. On September 18th of 1887, Elias went before a judge at the Mercer Street Police Station in Manhattan to answer Satterfield's complaint against her. She told the judge that Satterfield had fathered a child with her and abandoned her. Satterfield did not show up in court that day, but instead sent a sworn affidavit. The document stated that he had known Hannah Elias for 10 years and that she was a common woman. Now, 
What the hell does that mean? What does common woman, can somebody help me? That sounds like he just said she basic. <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying, you say, I, now I don't know these terminologies. Somebody that's maybe older than me. What does that mean? She's a common woman. Now I don't, I ain't, I, it's 2019. If I call, if I send a letter to the judge saying, I done known Sambuxa or I am Kimbrio. Oh, that means a hoe. Oh, I did not know that. See, I thought, I'm glad y'all here with me because I'm trying to figure this stuff out. Okay. Okay. So he just basically told the judge in some uh, politically correct language that she a hoe. <laughs> oh, Lord. Oh, she's a common woman. Oh, Lord. That means she a regular asshole. Okay. Thank you so much, ladies of the New Black Wall Street Book Club. I now understand what this meant, because it's in quotation like common woman. <laughs> uh, black folks are just fired from slavery and they took on their oppressor identity. Okay. Um, so the uh, so taking Satterfield's implication that Elias was a prostitute into consideration, the judge found her guilty of disorderly conduct and sentenced her to a month in prison on Blackwell's Island. So this will be the second time that Hannah Elias is in prison. First time was for four months for larceny. Now she's in prison for a month for disorderly conduct. And uh, this is uh, part four of, 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 of chapter 12, which is Black Cleopatra. Okay. <laughs> oh, that's the main reason. Cause Okay, I got you. I got you, Corey. He said the main reason because of the, 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 the mentality that blacks took on just out of slavery, which is the, was the mentality of their oppressor, of the white man that once had them enslaved. Okay, I got you, Iron Kimbrell. Thanks so much. Okay, for future reference, common woman means hoe. Okay, got you. So I know what to, I know what to call them now. I'll be like, oh, you just a common girl. <laughs> I'm like, what you mean by common? Oh, don't worry about it. You, you know, don't. I ain't gotta call them no hoe no more. I can call them common. Lord Jesus, I got me some new, I got some new vocabulary. <laughs> Black Fortune, the story of the first six African-Americans to escape slavery and become millionaires. Uh, chapter 12 of Black Cleopatra, part five. Let's get it. Blackwell's Island, now called Roosevelt Island, just off Midtown Manhattan in the East River, contained three prisons and an asylum. The prisoners there spent their days breaking rocks or digging ditches outside with a ball and chain attached to their ankles. During breaks, they'd watch Manhattan million, millionaires sail by in yachts or on the East River. At night, they jostled for bed space in the cell blocks, which held at least twice as many prisoners as intended. After 30 days, Elias left Blackwell's Island on October 16th of 1887, relieved to be gone. She found lodging in East Midtown, a neighborhood of tenement homes, slaughterhouses, and factories populated by working class blacks and European immigrants. Once she was situated, she decided to contact her former admirer, John R. Platt from the Tenderloin. Elias and Platt had once come up with a system to find each other if they lost track of each other. So Platt is the 60 summer year old, 60, Platt is her grandpa. <laughs> All right, her, her sugar daddy. Okay. 
So using their pet names for each other, Bessie and Popper, one will post an ad in the paper inquiring where the other was. Bessie, it's Popper. Where are you? <laughs> this is too much. Okay. It might say to which the other would respond with a location popper. It's Bessie. Dime Savings Bank, 830. When Platt laid eyes on Elias again in 1885, his eyes traced her curves and breasts. And he thought to himself, that pretty little Octorian girl had now grown into full womanhood. Platt was married, but he would sneak away from his family as often as he could to rendezvous with her. In, her, in the room she rented in a rundown tenement house near the East River. Woo! <laughs> the joint is gentrified. Apartments go for 2.5. Oh, really? Wow. So, the, oh, so Roosevelt Island is gentrified. So we got somebody that's in New York. You guys don't know what that place is. Plant lived off of Fifth Avenue near the Vanderbilts and the Carnegie's on Millionaire's Row. I like that. I, it's, Millionaire's Row is in quotations, too. You know, we got to build a Millionaire's Row for the Black Billionaire's Club, by the way. The Billionaire's Row. <laughs> he was the owner of a plate glass manufacturing company and captured a number of the region's most lucrative accounts over the years, including the glass contract for the New York State Capitol in Albany and the Metropolitan Opera House in Manhattan. According to tax records, he took home an annual salary of just under a million dollars. As Elias was getting reacquainted with her wealthy admirer, movements against the economic elite were sweeping the nation. In Washington, D.C., federal officials were vowing to crack down on big businesses by enacting trust-busting laws. Meanwhile, in industrial cities and mining towns, labor groups were organizing strikes and protests, and in New York, anarchists were publishing essays maligning the wealthy and even beginning to plot assassination attempts on industrialists and aristocrats. It was the beginning of what would later be called the progressive era of the 1890s, and it meant increased scrutiny of the lives and practices of the rich by the public, journalists, and the government. Men like Platt feared that, in, that any transgression, if revealed, could grow into a scandal. Platt told Elias that their affair would have to remain secret, but perhaps as a consolation, he offered to support her financially. Okay, this is a pretty normal. Uh, you know, pimping ain't easy, but somebody got to do it. Well, we can call it, he's having, he's married, but having an affair, he found him a little bit young tenderoni. He said, in order to keep your mouth shut, I'm going, I'm going to give you some money and let's not, let's not be naive and not like this don't happen all the dang on time. Okay. Let's just call it an arrangement. Everybody put in console an arrangement. Let's just call it, they made an arrangement. No matter if he's 65 years old and she's 21 years old, it don't matter. They are adults and they made an arrangement. You keep getting you some cookie cookie and I get me some money money. Okay. As she agreed to carry on with him covertly, Platt began wiring her between $2,000 and $6,000 every month. That's about $58,000 or $175,000 in today's terms. So $2,000 and $6,000 back in 1890 is equivalent to about $58,000. I mean, my goodness, that is some good cookie. I mean, my goodness, he paid $58,000 a month for some cookie. Oh, my goodness. Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. <laughs> oh, Lord. Woo, he 
made sure he see, oh he made sure she invested some of the money in bonds and real estate, uh, reminding her that she needed to make the money last. So he showed her how to multiply money. He said that he could not remember he that he could not remember me in his will on account of his relatives. Elias recalled. In 1890, Elias married Christopher Smith, a black railroad worker in his 20s. After her marriage, her arrangement with Platt went for the most part unchanged. Platt and Elias continued seeing each other whenever they could slip away from their spouses. Man, what's the song I'm thinking of right now? They both married and they have an arrangement. My goodness. It seemed to be workable arrangement for both of them until the early in 1893 when Platt's wife died. A few months after her death, Elias recalled that Platt visited her wanting to commit himself to her. As a token of the occasion, he presented Elias with a purse and a watch that had belonged to his dead wife. Elias initially told him she couldn't accept him and suggested that he give them to his daughters. Platt was insistent. He told me he loved me best of anyone in the world. She recalled him saying before she accepted his offer. That year, Platt helped Elias go into business as a boarding house operator. With his help, she purchased a house near his family residence where she could rent out rooms. The business will help her generate additional income and also provide Platt and Elias with a meeting place close to his home. One night and eight, me and Mrs. Jones, that's one of the, anybody else got a song? That's not, I think it's Secret Lovers. Secret Lover, Lover, Lover. Something like that, right? Oh, what's the other song? It's another one. Oh my goodness, I can't, y'all, give me the best song y'all can for this situation ship. <laughs> okay. Uh, one night in 1895, when Platt showed up to visit her at the lodging house, one of her tenants, a man named Cornelius Williams, answered the door. Williams, 26 years old, had a thick build, thin mustache, dark complexion, and high forehead. He was preparing to go out for the evening when Platt rang the buzzer. Are the folks in? Platt asked as he stood on the house's porch in the dark. The question provoked anger in Williams for some reason. He began to chide Platt. I didn't like his style, Williams remembered, thinking I didn't want him around here. William slammed the door, only to open it a moment later to study the details of Platt's face. Then he slammed the door again. Still insists, Williams asked one of the servants at the house about the man. She told him it was Mr. Green, and Elias Platt used when, visit, when visiting the house. Elias evicted Williams a few weeks after the incident for reasons that remain unknown. He and Elias were members of the same church, Mount Olivet Baptist Church of Midtown, making for awkwardness as they passed each other in the church on Sundays. Williams eventually left, but did so swearing that Elias had bad-mouthed him to the congregation and turned it against him. In 1897, Christopher Smith decided he had enough of Elias and Platt's affair and sued Platt for alienating the affections of his wife. Platt gave Smith $500 or $6,800 in today's terms to settle the suit and help Elias file for divorce. During the course of the proceedings, a lawyer whom Elias hired August C. Nance demanded legal fees of $20,000 or $275,000 to keep Platt and Elias' affair secret. Platt paid the fee, and Elias' divorce from Smith was finalized that year. Whoo, this is some, whoo! <laughs> oh, Lord, this is some stuff right here. Yeah, he, yes, he loves her. No, does, oh, uh, you know what? See, that's interesting. So y'all saying, so over here on Instagram, they're saying that he loves her. Really? That's what y'all think? This is interesting. See, this, this got to be women. Now, brothers, y'all might say something. Why I got the he say, she say so. I might have to bring this up 
his situation up on he say, she say so. Because y'all saying, oh, because he is helping her and uh, he's helping her to build whatever they build, that he is in love with her. I say not. He in love with the pussy. Okay. I mean, just listen to y'all. He in love with how she makes him feel. He ain't in love with her. He in love with what she does for him. Y'all better get it right. Y'all see, y'all are all messed up. Y'all, y'all, y'all brothers can't. I'm just saying, I just keep it real. See, the wit female saying he loves her. So y'all feel like, oh, he loves y'all. Nope. He don't love her. He loves what she doing for him. Can he do all that if he doesn't love? Absolutely. He gonna do what he can to keep the cookies. Y'all are y'all are misguided. This is why y'all gotta hear. This is why y'all females, y'all need to talk to men sometimes. He ain't in love with her. He in love with the feeling. If she stopped giving him the cookies, he gonna turn a different eye. Now she keep giving him the cookies because of what he's doing for him or her. He giving her money. He's helping her level up. That is not, he He loves her. Yes. He is not in love with her. No. Y'all better, see, y'all gotta come up. This is why y'all gotta have a conversation with me. I'm telling y'all, ladies, here's my suggestion. Stop having all y'all conversations about relationships with other ladies. Y'all need to talk to some real men. This brother does not in love with this woman. He asked her for marriage, but it wasn't because he wanted to be married to her for the rest of his life. It's because he wanted to keep getting his licky licky. If he loved her for real, for real, he wouldn't have waited until his wife died. He wouldn't be had this secret affair and all this stuff. This is not love. Come on, man. Y'all better stop. This is an arrangement. Sex for money. Sex for the come up. Y'all better get it together. <laughs> this ain't love. No, it ain't. This is an arrangement. You take care of my needs. I take care of your needs. And we good. Woo! Would he would marry her if he was a, no? He would. This listen. Some of y'all listen. He would marry her if he was a no. That's not true. He people marry for all different types of reasons. A lot of times it had nothing to do with love. Y'all better get it together. He man. He he gonna get. He probably about to marry her now. But it ain't because of love, man. Y'all, boy. Y'all don't. Y'all don't understand men at all. I mean, woo lord. Uh, not necessarily in love with her cookies either. It's the one he has, and he, he feels. He, yeah, that's true too. So if he got, he may not even necessarily be in love with the cookies. It's the one that he ha, he can control. It's the one he has. He feels he owns. This man, hey brothers, y'all gonna have to do a good job of making sure y'all stay around to teach the young girls about some of this stuff. Cause we got these women over here gonna keep talking to the little girl. Oh, he my love. No, he don't. He don't. <laughs> Oh Lord, oh Lord, we losing time. I'm sorry, we had to get. Man, this is worth talking about for real. Uh, yeah. Now Ava said, "Let let her stop giving him sex, and I bet the money will stop, and we'll find him another. I bet he'll." It, 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 okay, okay, we're gonna say this for the he say she say so, cause we're gonna bring this up about Cleopatra. Okay, men support to take care of her. I mean, he a man. He got money. He gonna he can provide. She's a, she's a great candidate for what? Listen, y'all, what y'all talking about? We talking about a 50-year difference. A 40-year difference. This brother about to be 70 years old, right? He he got him, he got him a little, uh, what they call it? He got him a little, he got him a little, little young girl. He, he, that can call him daddy. He, he, he's a father figure at this point. This ain't, man, y'all better get it together. <laughs> y'all, y'all, man, y'all do not, man, I'm just, I'm convinced. Some of y'all don't understand men at all. Maybe because y'all don't talk to men enough. I'm just trying to tell you. Okay. (laughs) 
Brothers, y'all, y'all, where the brothers at, by the way? Am I the only one, me, A.V., and Peter, are we the only ones here to, to take up the mantle so that we can help our sisters out a little bit? I'm just saying, for real. Like, come on, man. All right. <laughs> oh, that was, uh... <laughs> A.V. said, man, his own retirement gift. <laughs> The man is rich. He's he is look he is looking anything. She is stroking his ego, young tenderoni. That's right, a young tenderoni. That's the best way to put it. He's from Tenderloin, and he got him a young tenderoni that he found in the whole house, and he been smashing ever since he met her. <laughs> and he just said, well, "I need to keep." I he basically he just said, "Make this thing feel great again." I need you to make sure I got some youthful you know, energy in my life so I can stay young and strong. <laughs> yeah, he could have paid less, but he's not, yeah, but it ain't about, he found something that he wanted and he wanted it bad enough and price was no issue. And he realized, here's the price that I'm going to have to pay to get what I want and to keep what I want. It's just like people going to a job. They don't like the job, but the, the job paid them just enough so they don't quit and they work just hard enough so they don't get fired. That's the same thing that's going on here. He's paying just enough so she won't quit. Now she done went and married somebody else, right? And, 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 and she's giving him just enough so she can keep getting the money. I mean, y'all better come on, man. It, 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 ain't, it ain't rocket science. <laughs> We pay for what we want. And he's a wealthy man. He can't take the money with him. He might as well give it to a young Tenderoni. I'm just saying. But at least, at the very least, okay? Now, let's remember. I mean, oh God, leave with your time. Okay, listen. Instagram, I hate to tell y'all this, but about five minutes, y'all gonna get cut off because Instagram only gives us an hour. And we're gonna finish this chapter. So, if y'all wanna continue along with us, go to YouTube or Facebook, ERGJ Enterprises, and we're still going strong, okay? Make sure you subscribe to ERGJ Enterprises so you can help us, help me reach my goal of a thousand subscribers. So when it cut off, just know I told y'all in advance, it's going to cut off because Instagram only gives us an hour. We're going to finish this chapter though. Now, while I said that, let's keep going. So, uh, Ava said, men still doing today. She is smart if you're going to get extra, if you're going to bring extra, to why at least get paid more than $2? Absolutely. And here's the deal. I can appreciate that he's paying her and he's also showing her what to do with the money. So she's learning. So he is he is like a father figure. He's almost like the father that her father should have been. You see what I'm saying? And so she can appreciate, man, I finally got a man who will teach me, right, what to do with money. He's paying me. He's giving me an allowance. Right? And this is her father figure. Now, let's be honest. Let's be, I mean, let's really have this conversation. There are, unfortunately, there are some young sisters out here in their 20s who have not had a great relationship with the father because the father's in jail or the father ain't there or the mother don't want the father there for whatever reason. And they find themselves interested in older men who can pay them and who can teach them. And they make arrangements. Now, what gets confused in all this is this thing called love, because once you get you some good good, 
you might think it's love, but it's not. It's lust. It's infatuation. It could be love. I'm not saying that it can't be love, but more often than not, it's not love. It's the situation, the better situation that you put yourself in. You realize, well, wait a second. This brother's 40 years older than me. He ain't gonna be here that long. He got money. He can teach me something. My dad was never here. So I got me a daddy. And I can call, as long as I call him daddy, then he gonna be happy. So yeah, daddy. Oh yeah, daddy. <laughs> Let's take it. See, see what I, the thing about me, I'm a free black man. And I just keep it real. And too many people don't want to just talk about real stuff that be happening so we can get over this stuff together. Now, what this says to me is, we got to do a good job of keeping our dads at home or around or in the life. Not just for the, because I get on the brothers for a lot, you know, because if the dad not there to teach the brother, that's a big thing. But man, the dad got to be there to teach the young girl about this stuff too. Like, wait a second. While the women over here like talking about love, the men over here like, that ain't love, right? And it's a different dynamic. That's why you need the father and the and the and the and the mother in the home, in the life of the children. If they're not in the home together, at least be in the life together. Which I'll agree with that. Gladys is lo uh, loving news, right? You love all I know you do, Gladys. I know you do. Uh, this is true. Uh, Peter Peter Grant, our father works long hours. Uh, correction: If you're gonna be a whore, get paid more than two dollars. And a girlfriend got paid, so I know she ain't mad. I know that's right. Right? A man never gives me money when I need it, but when men make love, they fall asleep. Okay. All right. Oh, Miss Goodridge. Miss <laughs> Goodridge. Where that come from, Miss Goodridge? You got your name is Miss Goodridge, not Miss Badridge. <laughs> oh, Peter Grant said the father teaches young girls not to get pimped by old men. Come on now. This is real, man. What's going on, Shotty? Uh, Red Hot Pick Astalon again. Twenty-two seconds left on uh, Instagram. Come on over to uh, YouTube or Facebook. ERGJ Enterprises. We're gonna finish this. A quick word from our sponsor. Black Fortunes, the story of the first six African-Americans to escape slavery. Uh, we're in chapter 12, which is Black Cleopatra. We're in the final part, which is part six. Let's finish this thing. In uh, 18... <laughs> in uh, 1889... Everybody put it down, so 1889. <clears throat> in, I'm sorry, 1899. In 1899, Elias moved out of her marital home and into a mansion on Central Park West, West, purchased for her by Platt. Her new residence was part of a collection of homes along the park meant to rival Millionaire's Row on Fifth Avenue. The house was palatial, standing four stories high and 224 feet wide. It included 12 rooms in all, two banquet halls, a ballroom, a half a dozen bedrooms and bathrooms, and an English basement. Its exterior was made of red brick, stone, and mahogany and embellished with carvings of flowers, vines, and Greek deities. From its stained glass windows, sunrooms, and projecting balconies, it overlooked sheep grazing in the Central Park Meadow. Elias had been fascinated by the park since she had first visited New York, 
and had dreamed of taking up residence along its border. Her new address was among the city's white elite, which meant that extra steps had to be taken to conceal her race and affiliation with Mr. Platt. I don't want to, yeah, I know that, Mr. Grant. I don't want to do that. It's called, see, see, Mr. Grant, we got to, we got to learn how to move people, right? See, Instagram doesn't pay. So I got to move people over to YouTube so I can get my subscriptions up so they can pay. So if they got the taste of an hour and they want to get the rest of this thing, they come over to YouTube or they listen to it on the podcast and I still get paid. See, that's the strategy to this thing, Mr. Grant. I've been teaching you this stuff, man. <laughs> so after moving in, Elias left the house only for emergencies. And on, to those, and on those occasions, she rode in a covered carriage and wore a veil over her face. She turned the basement of her house into a medical suite equipped with a dentist chair and surgical tools so that all her checkups and teeth cleanings could be done in-house, hoping to preempt anyone becoming privy to the fact that they were living next to a wealthy black woman, she propagated false rumors about her ethnicity. At first, word was spread that she was Sicilian. Elias hired a young Italian man to come to her house and give her language lessons, but before long, she started an affair with him. After a few weeks, she became paranoid that he was plotting to murder her for her money after reading a similar plot in a dime novel and fired him. Afterwards, she switched to Spanish lists and began telling people she was Cuban. She assembled a team of servants from her home that included a black doorman, a French maid, a Singalese maid, two Japanese butlers, a Chinese cook, a full-time coach driver. As her neighbors watched her assortment of servants come to and from the house, she began, she began the envy of the block. Foreign doctors were the latest trend in the New York high society. At swanky dinner parties and teas thrown by New York plut plutocrats, it was not uncommon to hear rich women boast that they had hired help from Germany or Sweden. What's going on, Soul Say? Thanks so much for joining. Stacks on stacks on stacks. This is getting, this is, this, this is serious. Though Elias was unable to show herself in front of her rich neighbors, she still felt compelled to compete with them. Shortly after moving in, she hired a fitness instructor after hearing that a neighbor's wife had gotten her weight down to 84 pounds and became determined to surpass that mark. She also spent thousands of dollars every month draping herself in pearls, diamonds, and furs. <laughs> she said, I knew she was beautiful, but not crazy to do. Hey, woo. I'm telling you, this is another kind of crazy, but we know why she got crazy. Like it started from her dad. Her extravagance, however, did nothing to cure the loneliness she experienced in her jilted jail. The white elite in the city were a social and tight-knit group. They traveled together through parties for one another and aboard their yachts and in the ballrooms of their mansions. Elias, as a moneyed black woman, however, was forced to become a recluse, fearing what might happen if she was discovered living among them. She had no friends other than Platt and could only watch men and women go by in the park from a seat in her window, never able to walk the promenades herself. She sought refuge in reading and collected books to help her pass the time. One day, while reading about the Egyptian ruler Cleopatra, she had an epiphany. Everybody put it on old epiphany. E-P-I-P-H-A-N-Y. Uh-oh. I don't know what, all that other stuff up until this point, seemed like we might see a change. So, see red. That's why we say black folk do read. She read about the Egyptian ruler Cleopatra, and she had an epiphany. 
Similarities between their lives began to reappear to her. As a girl, Cleopatra was exiled by her family. As a woman, she was able to return to rule through an alliance with a powerful older man, Rome's ruler, Julius Caesar. Perhaps Elias thought if she remade herself and her surroundings in Cleopatra's image, her home could become a palace, not a prison. Elias charged her most trusted servant, a slight Japanese man with a thin mustache named Cato, with shopping for the items needed to transform, transform her home. After a frenzy of effort, the walls and windows of the mansion were draped in satin and silk. The rooms were outfitted with perfumed pillows and chases for Elias to lie on while her servants fed and fanned her with feather fans. She had Cato purchase a fountain that spouted scented water and installed it in her bedroom after reading that Cleopatra had had such an apparatus. When she was bored, she would clap her hands and order her servants to put on Egyptian period costumes and dance for her. The pageant only minimally eased her mouth malaise. She was the wealthy mistress of a powerful man, and with her investments and gifts from Platt, she was worth close to a million herself. Save for Mary Ellen Pleasant of California, she was not, she was most likely the richest black woman in the United States. Yet because of her race, she could not even leave her home. She began to think that perhaps she could find freedom if she could make herself white. When I first called upon, or I first, when I was first called upon by this woman, I was impressed by her desire to look as much like a white woman as possible. Recall Dr. Edward P. Robinson, a beauty doctor, Elias hired in 1900. When Robinson first met with Elias in her home, he, could he told her that he couldn't change her tan complexion or her curly hair, but he could give her a new nose, noting that her nose was typically African as it was depressed at the bridge and spread all over her face. Robinson made eight house calls at $100 or $1,372 in this time, a piece to work on the line, so about $8,000. It was known that what treatments he performed, but it was popular at the time to use paraffin wax to create a structure on the inside of the nostrils to project the tip of the nose outward. Such a treatment could be effective, but needed to be redone on a monthly basis and was known to cause difficulty breathing. Nonetheless, after the treatment, Elias' nose was more pronounced. Miss Elias now had a perfect type of Grecian nose. The beauty doctor boasted. Let me catch up on you guys' comments. Wow. Woo! So Kimbriel said, I can't miss the story. I know that's right. Uh, the old man ran her crazy. Epiphany, 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 epiphany. And I said, like, I don't know. No, I don't know man might have to give up the cookie. $58,000. <laughs> that's right. Epiphany, epiphany. Wow, this is something else. The next man I get is going to be old. These old men got it going on so I can get paid. <laughs> As she tried to be Shaharazad and recreating Orient. Yeah, no, I know that's right. Look at this. This little uh, this, <laughs> this little Kim, man. Woo, Lord. What a story. After altering her nose, she searched for an expert to change her hair and hired a hairdresser who claimed she could make her lock straight. Eliza was instructed to shave her head bald and apply an elixir to her scalp. The new hair, she was told, would grow in without kinks. However, when it started to grow again, it was curly as before. Elias, who was, le who was left nearly bald, was forced to don wigs after that. She consoled herself by purchasing hair pieces made of Spanish hair that cost upward of several hundred dollars each. She hoped she would have better results with her complexion. She found a woman who claimed he could, who, a man who claimed he could lighten her skin by applying a mask to her face for 30 days. 
When it was removed, he told her her skin would be alabaster white. When she removed the mask, her skin color was unchanged. But by then, the salesman had skipped town with $1,000 or $13,000 she had paid him. Elias was devastated. The night she removed the mask, she sent a servant to purchase a bucket of possum stew and some liquor that she called nigger gin from one of the city's black establishments. When the servant returned, she ate the stew by scooping it from the bucket with her hands while sobbing. After the meal, she got drunk and began to dance a jig, ordering the staff to join her. She carried on well into the night until she finally passed out and went to sleep. Days were mostly the same after that. She would get worked up about nothing, only to sink into depression and drunkenness when the excitement wore off. And she realized she could she realized she could escape neither her blackness nor the walls of her mansion. This is pretty depressing. <laughs> I mean, now you guys help me out. Okay? Um, that's the end of chapter 12, Black Clear Patch. Well, we still got a little bit more talking to do. I mean, I hope y'all ain't got to go to work today. But my goodness, this Wednesday, some of y'all ain't got to go to work. So we can talk a little bit. When you don't... Okay. We get it, right? You know, you went... Okay. I, I, okay. So you went through this whole childhood, you know, thing. You went, you go through the whole, you know, she just never loved herself. She, all this time, from the time she was young and being outcasted by her father to whatever time this is now in 1899, almost 1900, no matter how much money she made or acquired or manipulated to get, she never loved herself. She don't like the skin that she in. She don't like that she now has the, you know, the riches that maybe most people might want. She got the mansion. She got servants. She can do whatever she want with money. But she don't love herself. So much so, let's just say, in order to be accepted. This is a, just something about love and appreciation or acceptance in this world that it seems like everybody's kind of looking for to be accepted. But man, it starts by accepting yourself. And unfortunately, she was not able to learn from mom or dad because once dad kicked her out, that means mom and dad not in there no more. She, she, she went to a life where she had to fend for herself. She went to a life where she said, okay, this is what I know I can do. I got good looks, charm. I can exchange that for cash. She found people that wanted that type of value and she gave value in exchange. She found her sugar daddy which some people are looking for. But she, at some point, listen, oh my goodness. I guess this is the best way for me to say this. What we find in life is that people are looking for love before they actually love themselves. So although she was in the whole house and then now she found a man who might've loved her, she still didn't love herself. And so that exchange took place because maybe she thought his love could over could could supersede could overpower the love that I don't have for myself and when he skipped town that was that was man number two who maybe she felt I don't know how she felt but you guys tell me women how you would feel man men simply don't love me or whatever so she never knew she never knew love 
like real love, which starts with loving yourself. And all this time she's searching in this world outside of herself for this mythical thing called love, which it can only really be found in yourself. It can only really be found in your the love that you have with your creator and God says he is in me. So it still comes to me loving me. And because of the lack of love that people have for themselves, they can go out and destroy not only their life, they can destroy the lives of everyone they come into. Why? Because hurt people hurt people. And as I think about this title of hurt people hurt people, that's exactly one of the titles that's coming up on the He Say, She Say show. Because we're going to talk about this even more. I don't even know why I'm going into it this much right now. But I want to get you guys comments. In the comments below, I'd like for you to share something that you learned today. Because this is a tragic story. I mean, it's a normal story, unfortunately, but it's, well, it's not normal because most people, I mean, she got rich off the coochie, okay? I mean, her coochie was a million-dollar coochie, okay? Y'all think y'all got some million-dollar cookie? Okay, I'm just trying to say. I mean, she has some million-dollar cookie. <laughs> but she didn't have a million-dollar character. Let me say that again. I, I need the ladies to get this. She had a million dollar cookie, but didn't have a million dollar character. In the comments below, I'd like for you to share something that you learned today. We don't do this just to do this. I hope we have fun today, but this is real and it's still happening today, right? I'm simply asking you, was this worth your time and why? What kind of difference has been made in your psyche that you'll make in yourself that you can make also in the community in which you serve? This has got to stop. And it starts with us. What's your takeaway today? With this phenomenal story. Real life story. I mean, this could this need to be a movie. I mean, who gonna who gonna who gonna make the movie? Who gonna play Hannah Elias? <laughs> I, I mean, who? I mean, I, I ain't quite old enough. I'm gonna have to play. I'm gonna have to play Sad. No, I can't play Satterfield. Ooh, I might have to play Platt because I'm gonna be. I'm gonna be the. I'm gonna be the. I'm gonna be the Godfather. I'm gonna play Platt. <laughs> I'll play Robert Platt. I'm gonna get me some. We're gonna make some arrangements. But I'm just. I mean, I'm. I'm playing, but I'm for real. I mean, I'm. I'm playing, but I'm for real. <laughs> What's your takeaway from today, man? Let me catch up on these comments, man. We'll wrap this thing up. She did what folks are still on the day. Right, right. Be careful what you wish for. Right? What's gain profit a man to gain the whole world and to lose their own soul? When you look at the mirror, and you don't like what you see. Or you look at society and you feel like I got the change in order to be accepted. Because everywhere you go, you haven't been quite accepted. Not for who you are, but your representative have been accepted. I'm telling you, when we get to a place of honesty, people, that's the that's the starting point. That is the starting point. Ava said, man, see, that's why it doesn't pay to do evil. She should have never messed with that woman's husband. God don't like ugly. All that money, and she still was not happy. She did not love herself. So true, that part, love yourself first. Facts. Corey Bill says, hey, that's the narrative we sold with intense emotions from birth. 
Abandonment. Oh, this is real. Abandonment causes real trauma. Wow, she was looking for love in all the wrong places. That's another song. Ms. Mardan said, it still exists today where many think there is an escape, but by being like the masses. Uh, where we at? Oh, I missed something. Vivian Reed said, self-destruction. You're headed for self-destruction. Corbill said, man, hell, even today, majority of churches still teach that narrative. Last said, self-development, self-love before going into a relationship. Oh, she did have a million-dollar cookie. It is fun. <laughs> okay. Miss Goodrich. <laughs> Peter Grant said, man, if I learned if you're going to invest into someone, make sure they know how to use that investment and make it last for them. I, I mean, Platt, Platt was a slime bucket, too. I mean, let's not... I mean, we're talking about Elias as the major character in the story. But we got a whole bunch of other characters. We got Platt, right? The, uh, the, 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 the old G, right? Sleeping around, rendezvousing on his wife with the younger, with the, with the young Tenderoni and, and taking money out of the family household and investing it into the young Tenderoni. He must have just too much money he know what to do with, right? He was trying to satisfy uh, 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 enjoyment. He, he was paying for entertainment. I mean, this is this go. This is deep. I mean, this this is this is a lot of different things going on here. You got Satterfield, who wanted to be Captain Save a Hoe, and uh, he saved a hoe into getting her pregnant. You know, yeah, yeah, you, 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 you don't you don't get the hoe pregnant. That ain't what you do. I mean, I mean, if you go, you can screw the hoe, but don't get the hoe pregnant. That's the last thing you want to do. Now you're gonna have other issues because this woman got angry. I mean, she is angry. She, she don't, she don't love nobody. She mad. She angry. She got some anger issues. She got some issues. We all got issues. But brothers, if you gonna fuck the hoe, don't get the hoe pregnant. Okay, that's the last. Don't come home with no STDs and don't come home with no baby. I mean, if you're gonna do it, because y'all know y'all gonna do it. Some of y'all gonna do it. If you're gonna do it, <laughs> Woo! It all starts in the home. Again, money doesn't, doesn't make you happy. You have to find happiness within yourself. And they said, man, be more transparent to our young women and tell our stories and let them know that they're better than that. They don't have to settle. Learn from history and stop repeating itself. Right? Here, there are so many levels to in it. And it's so, it's so many levels. It's so, I mean, we could probably create. Well, first, this needs to become a movie. I mean, I don't know who the director of this, but man, you know what I'm saying? This could be juicy. Uh, but we can take this thing and we can level this thing out. I can I can create the he say she say show just off of these different dynamics. So we can, this right here is, I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to put a little mark on this. And yeah, we're gonna use this. Oh, we're gonna use this. We're gonna we're gonna learn. <laughs> so in case you guys don't know, at least uh he knew that you can turn you can't you can't turn a hoe into a housewife. That's why he left. Absolutely. <laughs> that, 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 you can't turn a hoe into a housewife. Until that hole is no longer turns herself from not longer no longer being a hoe. Anyway, so in case you guys don't know, we do have a code called the He Say She Say Show. It'll be bringing we bring this every two weeks on the Saturday at 10 p.m. Uh, we're gonna schedule that today. I I don't remember what the next episode is. I'll find. I'll tell you right now what it's called. What we're gonna be talking about this Saturday. And if you guys want to be a big guest on the show, uh, you know, inbox us and let us know. Uh, this this show is gonna be all men. And we're going to call it the Black Man Dating Experience. But moving forward, 
Uh, we, there will be three men and three women on the show. And he say, she say, show. It's time for us to talk about black love, relationship, relationships, love, and money. And that's, uh, I've been wanting to do, I've been trying it, starting it, finishing, not finishing it, starting it, stopping it, starting to stop it. We're going to keep this thing going because I'm finally to the point of being free and not concerned about my brand. I've established my brand long enough. My brand now is free black man. I do what the fuck I want when I want to do it. So he say, she say, so where everybody has a voice this Saturday at 10 p.m., man, y'all know what time it is. Y'all can't catch it on uh, live because I know that's the best time to do adult conversation. You guys can catch the podcast. Uh, the He Say, She Say shows on podcasts across all different platforms as well. This is the New Black Wall Street Book Club, where black folk do read. If you put in a book, we absolutely will find it. Now, I'm your host, ERGJ, your certified financial educator, and we invite you to join the Black Billionaires Club. Get connected with brothers and sisters who are serious about winning with money, serious about success, and super serious about helping you to accomplish your goals and to build your dreams. Check out the website at www.theblackbillionairesclub.com, www.theblackbillionairesclub.com. You can find that link in the description above or below. Make a decision to change the rest of your life. We'd ask that you would subscribe and support this podcast with a small monthly donation to help us sustain future episodes to improve financial literacy within our community and ultimately to help us to build the School of Wealth, to build an institution that will teach the next generation about money. And your small monthly contribution can make all the difference. Well, it says, well we want to say thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the New Black Wall Street Book Club. We want you to remember this, that it takes a village. And it starts with us. Let's build as we climb together. We all we got, people. And thank God that that's more than enough. Until next episode, you know what time it is. Mr. DJ, hit the music. New, new, new black, new. It's the new Black Wall Street Book Club. With your host, Evan Jefferson. Evan Jefferson. It's time for us to go. Yeah. Now you ain't gotta leave the computer. But we encourage you to get out there and learn and apply all the things you learn at the new Black Wall Street. Book club. Book club. Yeah. New Black Wall Street.